Hello. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. Oh, there we go. All right. That's a good one. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome back. (laughs) It's Total Recall Week here on No But That's a Thing. <laughs> totally. Wow. This, oh boy. What a, such a sordid history with, not sordid, I mean just a very This is multiple movies that you have a sordid history I with. I do because there's just so much in it. Like, oh, come on. That <laughs> creepy monster coming out of the man's tummy from- Guato. Guato. Yeah. Well, with that Guato thing, just a quick opening tidbit about that. At one point, David Cronenberg, director of The Fly, was attached to direct this movie and- Quato and the mutants on Mars were all his idea. And if you look at the design, you're like, that's a Cronenberg idea (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Or like the the eyeballs being sucked out of your brain when you're when you're in Mars air. You're just like, let's make this as gross as possible. Very gross. And then with Arnold Schwarzenegger's giant mouth and teeth, just really (laughs) adding to the whole like there's a lot of expressiveness happening with this guy. And uh, interestingly, even though Cronenberg didn't direct it, this movie was directed by Paul Verhoeven, who right. directed RoboCop, mm-hmm. and it was written by Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett, who wrote Alien. Right. So from the writers of Alien and the directors of RoboCop, and also the director of The Fly a little bit there, yeah. comes one hell of a fucking sci-fi epic. Your mind, it is the center of your life. It is everything you hear, everything you see. Everything you feel, it is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? Arrest that woman! Quaid. Get ready for a surprise! We can't let him run around, he knows too much. They've got your bug. I get a lock. There! And the bug's in your skull. Ah! Welcome. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. You erased your identity and implanted a new one. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? I want Quaid delivered alive for re-implantation. That's for making me come to Mars. So Schwarzenegger's a guy who he he's just a normal construction worker. Mm-hmm. He wants to see, wants he to wants to somebody. see Mars. He yeah. wants to do something important in his life mm-hmm. and travel. Mm-hmm. And there's a new company called Recall that's going to implant memories of a vacation mm-hmm. that he didn't actually go on, but has the memories and the experience of actually having done it. Yeah, he's supposed to go on what they call a, quote, ego trip. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is a little on the nose, right? Because yeah. it's clearly about, like, I want to feel better about myself. Yeah, well, because the, <laughs> they're like, why go to Mars when you can go to Mars yeah. as a playboy? Exactly. <laughs> or they're like, that was one area that I thought was really funny is how they marketed it of just like a real vacation's a pain in the ass yeah but if you're in a vacation of your mind you don't have to pack any bags right you you can just teleport there in your head basically like they're wanting to implant the memories of a lifetime yada 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 Mm. you can see the value here right and so in messing with his brain they awake or do they Mm. a dormant personality Mm. which is his true personality which is a super spy Mm. who's dealing with shit on mars and he's got to go to mars but then what's confusing is that at recall, he wanted to go to Mars in his mind as a secret agent. So it's this whole thing like, is he a secret yeah. agent? Isn't he? Is, is this all like a, a dream figment or of his imagination? Is it not? 
Right. So that's but but then in the midst of all of that, you've got some crazy, awesome practical effects. You've got some three titted aliens, oh, yeah. which is like one of the most iconic <laughs> yeah. things that people remember from that movie. And then you've got you've got Mars, which is really scary place to live. And then, of course, you've got the corporate greed, which mm-hmm. you could see a lot of the Robocop comparisons there of like Definitely. how they've completely commercialized yeah. any of the technology that they have at that time. Yeah. Well, you kept referencing what brands were surviving into the future, oh, yeah. which I thought was really funny. Jack but like on Mars, they've got yeah. Jack in the Box. They've got ESPN. Um, yeah. What were the, some of the others? I th- I don't remember. No, Taco Bell. That's Demolition Man. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll no, do that on another episode. Do that. Oh, one thing I said it was like clearly in the future, '80s workout gear lives <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> I just love Sharon Stone. It's just like oh, I'm doing my karate, but it was like so quintessentially '80s, like yeah. with the weird spandex thong on top of more spandex. Yeah. What was with that? Where did that even? How did that start? That I don't work? know how that's nice for anybody, especially if you're working out. That's like a one way ticket to swamp ass town, <laughs> right? Like, anyway, super tangential, but I feel a lot about that. Yeah. On the special features of the Blu-ray, mm-hmm. which I assume was the same special features as the DVD. Because there's a video called Visions of Mars, which is like about the current exploration of Mars by NASA, Mm -hmm. which is the current as of 2001 NASA Mm -hmm. exploration of Mars. The NASA guy that's talking in this video is talking about a mission that's going to bring Martian soil samples back from Mars that should finish its mission by 2014. Whoa. Now, I looked up what happened with that mission, and its launch date is TBD. Oh, boy. (laughs) Science. Okay, so, well, what would it be like on Mars? Uh, of course, the air on Mars would kill a human quickly. The atmosphere on Mars is less than 1% of Earth's, so it would be hard to breathe. That's that's really thin. Yeah. That's like, I, th- I read that that's the same as being 35 miles above the Earth's surface. 35 miles? Yeah, wow. so it's like around where airplanes fly okay. would be the equivalent of the density of the atmosphere on the surface of Mars. Oh, wow. The air on Mars, it consists of 95% carbon dioxide, 3% nitrogen, and 1.6% argon. The remainder is trace amounts of oxygen, water vapor, and other gases. There's like minuscule amounts of oxygen, whereas on Earth, oxygen accounts for an average of 21% of the air that we breathe. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah, that alone. Yeah, I read that Mars and Venus have almost the same composition, where Mars is 95% carbon dioxide and Venus is 97% carbon dioxide, but they're totally different planets. The atmosphere on Venus is more than 480 degrees Celsius, while the temperatures on Mars never get above 20 degrees Celsius. So Mars's atmosphere is super thin and Venus's atmosphere is super thick, but it's the same composition. Interesting, isn't yeah. it? So, and that's oh, and that makes sense. But that temperature would make that change because mm-hmm. there was like a runaway greenhouse effect that occurred on Venus, and in Mars, the lack of a magnetic field mm-hmm. actually allowed the solar winds to just blow away most of the atmosphere, which is why it's so thin now. Right at nighttime. So, of course, we think about Mars as being this like dead, dry planet. In Total Recall, that's what you see. It's red as fuck, and it's just like dusty. <laughs> but at night, apparently, the planet achieves 100% humidity. During the day, it's super dry, but here's why. So, humidity is the amount of water vapor in the air. It varies daily and depends on the temperature. So, warm air can hold more water vapor than cold air. Humidity is measured as a percentage of the maximum amount of water that the air can hold at a given temperature. The greater the, dis- the difference between the two temperatures, day and night, the greater the evaporation. So when there's a lot of evaporation, the air is drier and the humidity is low. On Mars, the air is saturated at night, but unsaturated during the day. That's because of that huge 
difference in temperature. Wow. So that and, and that's also what I discovered more than just the atmosphere. It's that cold. So mm-hmm. even if we could breathe the air at night, it sure doesn't sound like we would want to get some thermal blankets. You'll yeah, be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Put on a coat. <laughs> No big deal. Yeah, it's... But I guess I don't know, because aren't we trying to... I thought that we were trying to go to Mars and... We are. Yeah. But, but that doesn't mean that we're, like, going to do it just out on the surface without... Right. Well, oh, oh, yeah. Habitats. You wouldn't be able to do that, right? You'd have to wear no. suits. You'd have you, to... We, we got to build habitats on Mars right. that, you know, like in the movie, they're mm-hmm. their own closed ecosystem. Uh-huh. And that's where you get experiments that have happened since the 90s of the biosphere mm-hmm. and... Movies like Biodome. Right, of and course. there are experiments that the Russians do where called like Mars 500 was one of them uh-huh. where people go underground and they live in this like tiny sphere that is supposed to simulate a 500 day mission to Mars. Right. And see if people lose their minds and stuff. Now, I guess my only question there is, I mean, I suppose I suppose with colonization of any kind, you're just kind of like trying to get out there and that we have a history of wanting to do that in general. But like to me, when I think about space exploration and trying to figure out how to get to places, I assume it's because atmosphere and air here is unbreathable. So it seems kind of, in my brain, counterintuitive to then go to a planet. We've talked about needing to be a multi-planet species mm-hmm. if we want to survive and stuff like that. But I mean, but, by the this, but like sheer, we would still survive if we had... But there's had... the sheer want of exploration. Mm-hmm. So some people don't care about like breathing the beautiful air of the earth they want to go and see mars for the first time Mm -hmm. understand more about the solar system through that and just do like scientific experiments Mm -hmm. and and like what was the famous quote about everest why did you climb it because it was there it's like because mars is there we should go and we should see what's going on over there right oh yeah i think there's a difference between like seeing that there's a like that america's here and then coming over and colonizing right of course do the exploration you know, we're a virus we like to spread out we like to right. to that's basically what i'm getting at you know yeah we that's what we do <laughs> that's what we do go we back. like to go to more places and see and do more yeah. things yeah and of course I'm, I'm not like criticizing that saying that we shouldn't and we should just stay on our street for the rest of our life or whatever right. it's just to me i'm like huh i don't if I'd want to just like wear a spacesuit. No, you time. well, you wouldn't go. Yeah, right. that's why. <laughs> like, you can sign up right now for missions to Mars right. to be like a one-way colonist. Right. And you don't do that. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, we're so far away from this being a, a la Total Recall. Like, people live up there, to, mm-hmm. and there's terrorists on there, and like right. they're they're having the societal issues that we're dealing with right now. Right. This is still clearly an allegory for just like weird because they had all their weird political stuff too like i mm. I, I really love that paul verhoven seems to insert that into his, it's funny his because sci-fi. yeah god that guy knows how to shoot guns and make guns look uh-huh. cool i think that when people were always talking about like the violence of movies mm-hmm. i feel like they're talking about paul verhoven movies right they're, maybe they're sure. like almost i mean they're talking about schwarzenegger movies but uh-huh. he in particular <laughs> did you notice how little effect bulletproof vests have in this movie yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's right they just are paper over these people yeah. that just get blown apart just full of jelly packets he's a big fan of like hard machine guns we were saying that the riddled with bullets factor yeah. of paul verhoeven movies are are pretty pretty big astounding. fan of squibs that guy Mars doesn't have a magnetic field, but it probably did have a magnetic field four billion years ago. Apparently, it still has a limited magnetosphere that covers 40% of its surface, rather than uniformly covering and protecting the whole atmosphere from solar wind. And so the magnetic field takes place in the form of a collection of smaller umbrella-shaped fields Uh on the surface, like mainly clustered around the planet's southern hemisphere. 
So whatever's happening on the inside of Mars, the dynamo that once ran and did create a magnetosphere, it's still doing something, mm -hmm. but we don't understand enough about it to know why it cooled. It may be that the core became too much iron and that stopped this motion from occurring that generated the magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. But the, I thought it was amazing that it still has some pockets of magnetosphere. Right. Is there a way to utilize that or is there a way to knowing that it's there to... I don't know. Maybe down the line we might be able to do something because... With I mean, I guess this, that's my question is like, why is that interesting? Is there a way that we could like harness that or like... Well, I guess I didn't know that it wasn't completely dead. Oh, I don't oh. know if we'll be able to harness it. But one of the things that people talk about when talking about Mars is terraforming uh -huh. and being able to turn that into a planet that is like Earth. Mm. Because it is amazing to think about how mild and temperate the Earth is. Mm -hmm. Mars has dust storms. Venus has temperatures of thousands of degrees. Right. Or as I said earlier in Celsius, 480 degrees. But we got it pretty good over here. <laughs> yeah. And being able to maybe turn something else like Mars into a more Earth-like planet using huge systems like you can put particles in the sky that create false clouds that end up trapping more greenhouse gases. And then you start to build up the density of the atmosphere right. of Mars over a long period of time. And eventually you have a planet that's just like Earth. Right. So like if you're able to kind of recreate or at least pretend in the lab mm -hmm. and you see that that reaction happens or that whatever, mm -hmm. I guess it's just what on a bigger scale? Is yeah. it the, is the machinery on a, on a bigger scale? Is We just have to wait for that to become more yeah. advanced? Yeah. But with any of those things, we've talked about how you can understand how something works in a lab, but when you try it on the whole planet, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. We were talking about that with, like, if we seeded the oceans with algae, mm -hmm. we don't know what they might turn into. Right. So, there's, yeah, there's other factors that you can't... It's a controversial idea, actually, to terraform Mars, but... Gosh. We got to do it. I know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, well, and also, yeah, like you said, just, just that being able to figure it out. Like, there's just this need to, like, no. Yeah. I human beings are innately curious. We have a feeling of exploration inside of us, mm -hmm. and this this is the next, this is the frontier. Right. So, so one of the, the bigger things that I wanted to talk about is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, Quaid, wanted to go to Mars in his brain because he kept having this recurring dream about being on Mars and he wanted to make something of himself, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. You know, we could talk about that implanting like pleasant memories and, you know, remembering that I was on the Virgin Isles by myself on my right. yacht or whatever. That's all fine and good. But I'm interested in this idea of removing memories and also just like what memories are, how the brain forms them, that kind of stuff. And of course, like the science behind how your brain operates and how memories form is a little bit convoluted. I'll try to explain it a little bit. Is it, is it like, I don't even know that we totally get it. No, like, no exactly. That's why it's like, just being convoluted, the, it's, it's, it seems like brain basically just rewires like every new experience or every mm. new memory, your brain rewires how it operates. It's always changing. Um, yeah. Never staying still. Exactly. So researchers have figured out how to delete, change, and even implant memories, not just in animals, but in human subjects. That includes like drugs that help rewire the brains to forget bad parts. Those kinds of drugs are already on the horizon. Wow. There's a PBS documentary called Memory Hackers, where it, it basically talks about these advances in neurological scanning technology and stuff over the past few decades. Wow. So in the past, scientists thought that your brain was just like a filing cabinet and all these memories were just kind of filed away. Mm -hmm. But it's been since realized that every single memory we have is locked up in connections all across the brain. 
So a memory is formed when proteins stimulate our brain cells to grow and form new connections, literally rewiring the mind's circuitry. Yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit in Looper mm-hmm. as it being like when it becomes a long-term memory, the pieces of it are stored all over the brain. Mm-hmm. And it's like the part that's associated with emotion, your emotion relative to that memory is stored in the emotion center of the brain. Exactly. That memory is stored there and it will stay there in your brain as long as you occasionally reflect upon it or you occasionally remember it. Mm. You know, you see, you, I think Inside Out is a great example of that as well because what was the character that eventually goes into like the deep memory? Bing bong. Oh, right. The right. imaginary friend the imaginary from her friend. early childhood. Exactly. Where like at a certain point that just goes, like she's never going to remember that again. Right, Unless right. you have, I guess, some kind of crazy hypnotherapy or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Back out of the However, if like she every single day was like bing bong, you know, even well into her house, into her adulthood she'd mm. always remember being bong I don't know how the fuck you forget a, an imaginary friend from your childhood that seems like sacrilege to me but like how do you do you remember do you remember your imaginary friend uh, I didn't have imaginary friends do you remember that for sure that you didn't have it or do, is it like a thing I think that I was all uh, truthfully I was always aware that I was talking to myself <laughs> yeah well, that, you know, I've been monologuing since. How early aware? On. I'm sure that like if she was reminded of Bing Bong as yeah. an adult, she'd be like, "Oh fuck, Bing Bong!" Fucking Bing Bong! Right? Oh my god! Right? But- so it requires that kind of like weird. Which you even think about with um with like Alzheimer's patients or if mm-hmm. folks with dementia, maybe like a song that reminds them of a time they're able to. You know, there's all these like new therapies coming out with like mm. kind of that sense memory therapy that I, I know find- smells are right. most strongly associated totally. with memories. So I I mean, gosh, this kind of shit happens to me all the time. I smell a thing or like I hear songs I think are huge they remind mm. especially like song from the 90s man bring me <laughs> yeah. back. there's certain songs that always bring me back and I also I'll do a thing with listening to songs where I'll listen to the same song over and over again for like a month yeah like I'll listen to one song until I hate it or at least can't hear it again yeah and then when I hear it like a year later I'm transported back to that month of my life and right. what things were like and where I was at it's kind of cool I remember one of mine I don't don't get too jealous, you guys, because when I was growing up for about like a couple of months, it feels like half a year, if not less. My mom owned a pog shop and I feel a pretty- pog <laughs> shop. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> my mom owned a pog shop and I believe it was just called the pog store. Right? I think we were pretty straightforward oh, about <laughs> you must have had the sweetest slammers. Dude, I had the best slammers. I had so many tubes and they were organized. It was like, these are my Disney themed pogs. These are my wow. dir- these are my like who farted and a little bit irreverent pogs <laughs> had one that said who farted anyway. Wh- Wow. I know. So there's already a lot that I'm talking about here. But I remember there's that, do you remember that, that song that's like, whoa, heaven let your light shine down. There's like this great song from the 90s that I just remember. Like every time I hear that song, I'm like, that's that's the Pog Shop from 1994. Yeah. <laughs> as I remember. How long did Pogs last? Because I um, feel like that was more of a fad than like anything like it's it. It's the most dictionary definition of fad that right. I could I mean even more than the pet rock perhaps I don't know it might know. be right like because Pokemon cards and Magic the Gathering right. like those all stuck around those all stuck around because there's any remote there amount of skill yeah. there's any <laughs> this is literally just like circular pieces of cardboard you delusion just, like, that you stack push up push it down and then you, you pop see. them up in the air yeah you're like then you just get a thicker pog basically slam it down and then shit goes flying and then you're like ah oh, I'm gonna keep this paper they were just like coins. Yep, they were 
were just pieces of paper. Whoever invented Pogs figured something out and they're genius. They, yeah, and they probably don't ever have to work again and they're just sleeping on their piles on their and piles, piles of, of Pogs. Pogs. Probably really comfortable. Who knows? You're probably anyway, holding on to them like one day. These are going to be really valuable. I know. eBay is going to, there's going to be a war a brewing on eBay. <laughs> anyway, so God, that was a long tangential way of talking about a sense memory. Going back to the, the memories and how we remember them. So, mm-hmm. okay, that maybe it's still there and it's still re- relevant if you think about that memory every now and then. But what people don't realize is those long-term memories really aren't stable. So every time we revisit a memory, that memory becomes malleable again, and it's reset strongly and more vividly than before. Mm -hmm. So that process is known as reconsolidation. It explains why sometimes memories can change slightly over time. And they use this example. If you fell off your bike each time you remember it and get upset about it, you're re-strengthening the connections between that memory and emotions such as fear and sadness. Eventually, just the thought of a bike could be enough to make you terrified. Alternatively, most of us have had the experience of a once traumatic memory becoming laughable years later. Hmm. Right? So something at the time that you're like, oh, I was so scared of that bike. And but I if look that back keeps on it. happening over and over again, right. then you're going to start associating that. Yeah. I remember a really bad rollerblading accident I got into (laughs) when I was like 12 or 13. And sincerely, I've probably rollerbladed since then. But like, I don't. After that, I was like, fuck this. Yeah. Fuck it. Snowboarding, same thing. So I am one of those assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of those assholes. I mean, if you have a terrible memory associated with it and the idea of doing it is not fun to you, then you shouldn't do it. I know. But then there's also something called like exposure therapy that psychotherapists use, right? Where it's like. If it's like if it, you're afraid of heights, go to a tall building, start getting used to it because you're going to be fine. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I think what this nuke, and that's been around for quite some time, yeah. right? It seems pretty intuitive and seems pretty obvious. I feel like, like uh, yeah, it's associated with like flights, yeah. like airplane fears sure. and stuff. A yeah, lot. those kind of tangible, like I'm afraid of spiders. Mm-hmm. Blah, let me deal with the spider. Yeah. You know, so and that seems pretty pretty intuitive. You're sort of like, well, okay, let me, there's a reason why face your fear is yeah. as a thing. Yeah. However, there's how you incorporate drugs into this. Let's say something like, let's say you were in war and some terrible shit happened to you. It's not as easy to be like, okay, let's go face your fear. We're just going to go to the, to the like front of this genocide taking place. (laughs) It's not so bad. Look, we know you're afraid of the Nazis and what they did to these people, but just face them. Face it. Start at Hogan's Heroes and then take it from yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> Little full metal jacket. <laughs> fucking platoon it up and then yeah. you'll be fine. These researchers in Netherlands were screwing around with this drug called propranol pro, how do you how do you pronounce that? Propranolol? Propranolol. There's a drug called <laughs> propranolol. Propranolol. laughing out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so what that does is is blocks something called nor uh, norepret norepinephrine norepinephrine thank you holy shit so okay so norepinephrine that word is involved in the fight or flight response so it's responsible for triggering symptoms such as like sweaty palms or like a racing heart if you you know that well, that like oh the hairs on the back of your neck standing yeah. up you know that kind I of shit i think epinephrine is the artificial form of adrenaline and so right. norepinephrine must be very similar to it. Yeah, similar. Instead of like just that excitement, it's that it's like the more of the, the physical, fear that like I need physiological to response. Yeah. So apparently, these researchers they can dampen those traumatic memories by giving them that drug, the laughing out loud Prop- drug. Propofen. Yeah, the lols. Let's just do that so that they can block that. And they were fucking around with people that are afraid of spiders. So these arachnophobes. So two of the groups of arachnophobes. God, there's a lot of words. They were shown a tarantula in a glass jar to trigger their fearful memories of spiders. And then they were either given 
P word, or a placebo. Surprise, surprise, the people given the, the drug were like, oh, I'm actually fine with a spider now. Okay. Like after a series of treatments, basically, they their receptors didn't fire off the kind of like, oh, sweaty palm so did it action. Like, so it, it inhibited their fear. Their fight or flight mm. mode. Seems dangerous. It seems very dangerous, doesn't it? Because if you're no longer f- afraid of death, right. <laughs> this kind of goes in. Oh, that with your... piano is falling directly from above me. Yeah. It's very important for us to be afraid to die. Yes. So it sounds like we're early enough on that they're not trying to actually delete any memories, but mm-hmm. they are trying to f- fool your brain into not having those same traumatic feelings, those, yeah. those feelings when you see a spider. That, I think, is different than just implanting something that never occurred. Well, if we used something like this, there could be, you know, we could sit here and be like, well, I don't want to remember that heartbreak. And then remove, so remove that memory. Mm-hmm. Although the negative experiences are what make us who we are. Exactly. So we shouldn't really be incentivized to remove negative experiences. To take that to the army thing where somebody with PTSD, like it would be great because you don't deserve to have this memory. Mm-hmm. Like that's not right for you to have. Mm-hmm. But if we erase the memories of the atrocities of war, then we're going to commit the same terrible mistakes again, again, and again. Totally. I think that's a really good point. And that's why I think even right now, it's because of the ethical question of actually removing memories from people's brains, mm-hmm. that they're more focused on being able to address the actual problems that ruin people's lives. Because it's not just the fact that somebody was in war. It's the fact that they have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's the Mm. fact that they have anxiety or whatever. So if, not that they would necessarily become completely desensitized to the idea of war or the carnage of war. Like, you don't necessarily lose your humanity. It's just being able to find a way to cope with those. Because if, like, if literally... You can't even watch a movie that has war in it or anything, right. any trigger without being like, ah, why does my entire life have to be destroyed because I decided to sign up to fight in a war when I was 18 years old? Right. You know? Well, Crazy also, question. yeah, I just imagine if you spend three or four years in a place where you're constantly terrified, any noise that is made might be somebody yeah. who's there to kill you. Right. You spend years in that state. Right. Totally. The, the war analogy is a great one to use just because it's, to me, the, the mm. most obvious of why, you know, a kind of experience that you would want to avoid or forget. Heartbreak is, just go fuck yourself. Write a song, <laughs> write a diary entry, like, you'll be fine. And people right. do this all the time. But seeing your friends get their arms blown off, like, that's something that I'm like, yeah, nobody should have to remember what that feels like. Here's the flip side of that, though, too. Sure, maybe you come back from war and you're like, ah, times of peace. But what if you have to fight in again? Maybe you yeah. don't expect that you're going to have to fight again. And do you want that fight or flight sense to be numbed in any way? No. <laughs> and, <laughs> like fear and, is and real for a reason. Another question is how does our flight or fight response affect things other than war or like the actual right. like, like actual life or death scenarios? Yeah. Well, there's a reason why I get the the hairs stand up on the back of my neck if I'm walking through a creepy alley by myself, right? Right, right. I should feel that way. Now I shouldn't live my life in fear thinking like ooga booga everybody's going to try to rape me. Like mm. you've got to find peace in your life, but like being a dum-dum is also not the right, way to live right. your life. Well, I actually, this leads into, I did a bunch of research on lobotomies. Oh, God. And what that's done. Because, it, you know, one of the big things in the movie is him being like, don't go to recall. You get, you, my you'll, buddy you'll got lobotomized. Plan, yeah. <laughs> you want to get lobotomized, Schwartz? Yeah, I Schwartz. don't know. <laughs> Doctors first began manipulating the brain to calm patients in the late 1880s oh. with the Swiss physician Gottlieb Burkhardt. He removed parts of the cortex of the brain of patients with auditory hallucinations and other symptoms of schizophrenia. 
noting that it made them calm. Mm-hmm. Although one patient died and another committed suicide after the procedure. Oh, great. Perfect. After that, there was this Portuguese neurologist named Antonio Igas Moniz, who, if you look at a picture of this dude, he is a creep. Oh, boy. And he did, he was like, let's lobotomize them all. He used to go around doing three to five a day. That's disgusting. Disgusting. He was like, of the 50,000 lobotomies that's ever been done, he did like 6,000 of them. And he thought that this was a means of helping people with their yes. trauma? Yes. He actually got a Nobel Prize for physiology for medicine right. in 1949. And later there was a movement that was started to revoke the prize. But that was unsuccessful. Right, so he because still it's has like, prize. oh, sure, yeah, people don't remember their bad memories because you took out their fucking brain. <laughs> yeah. So he reported that the treatment was a success with patients with conditions such as depression, schizophrenia, panic disorder, and mania. But the operations had severe side effects, including increased temperature, vomiting, bladder and bowel incontinence, and eye problems, as well as apathy, lethargy, and abnormal sensations of hunger. And what's so fucked up is even hearing about this world, I'm like, duh, duh, no shit, Sherlock, you know? But back then, they were just like, oh, how do we deal with this problem? Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, because it did cause some patients to be calmer who right. otherwise were having these hallucinations. Right. They didn't have Ritalin back then. <laughs> nope. No, no Adderall. Because we know so little about the brain and we're just mm. now like kind of scraping the, the surface of what Literally. we understand. Literally <laughs> scraping the surface. It just, yeah, it puts all of that nonsense in perspective. You're like, the brain is so powerful and the more you understand it and how to actually deal with those issues i mean certainly how we deal with schizophrenia and those kinds of things they can be treated much more it's just we've come a long way from there although we still like lobotomies are still used once in a great great while when every other treatment method has been used right and we continue to come up with more treatment methods so lobotomies keep getting pushed further and further down the list yeah but there are still like electroshock therapy things which is different now than it was portrayed in the 50s but it's also still pretty brutal and horrible But that is like kind of the modern version of a lobotomy. Is the electroshock thing. Is the electroshock thing. Now, is the justification for that because, you know, synapses fire, it is an electric reaction that happens in the brain? Yeah, they try to focus the electric to like basically kill the part that you would sever in a lobotomy, but only doing it through non-invasive measures. ridiculous, dude. Because if you (laughs) listen to the first procedures of lobotomies, They started by cutting a hole in the skull and injecting ethanol into the brain to destroy the fibers that connected the frontal lobe to other parts of the brain. Then they introduced a surgical instrument called a leukotome, which contains a loop of wire that, when rotated, creates a circular lesion in the brain. Like, basically cutting the brain open and just injecting shit into the brain. Then he developed a new technique, which is called orbitoclast, where you use a modified ice pick which the physician would insert through the patient's eye socket using a hammer. I mean, it's like out of a fucking horror movie. It is. They, they would then move the instrument side to side to separate the frontal lobes from the thalamus, and the, which is the part of the brain that receives and relays sensory input. So they would just go in there with an ice pick through your eye and just like work it around to sever the Slurp connections in up. your brain. That's disgusting. Yeah. So a small percentage of people supposedly got better or stayed the same. Right. But for many people, lobotomy had a lot of negative effects. Their personality disappeared. Their initiative disappeared. Their inhibitions disappeared. Well, empathy and ability to function on their own. Well, yeah. I mean, when I when I imagine someone with a lobotomy, and of course this is 
just based on what I've seen in movies. But mm-hmm. it's this kind of just like, uh, like well, you're not there anymore. They your brain show is this. Gone. They show this happening in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Right. And what I read was that that was a scarily accurate representation of what it's actually like. Oh. So the long term effects of lobotomies were mental dullness, as it's put. Yeah, you're and, making someone a dum dum because you're removing part of their goddamn brain. Yeah. I mean, I guess what's so interesting, too, is you think about medicine or you think about just the way other parts of the body work. And it, it seems so much more like, oh, yeah, I add this thing and I you mm-hmm. know, I either remove or I do this. I give you a cast. I do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. But so much about the brain is that kind of like electric, mm-hmm. you know, the synapse, the firing or whatever. So you think about, you know, you exercise your body by lifting actual physical weights. Whereas with the brain, you're like, let me play a brain game. Let yeah. me do some math. And it's... Let me you remember know, that memory again. Exactly. And and understanding what, you know, I'm a neurotic weirdo, so there's like a sideshow in my brain, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it does make me wonder, like, how, how have I been able to kind of train this energy and how have I been able to understand my thoughts or like why I have weird mm-hmm. fight or flight things or what my triggers are. And instead of focusing on that, the psychology of it, it was just like, oh, this person's hysterical. Let's just get rid of that. Let's <laughs> stab them in the head. With an ice pick. With an ice pick. And, and help then, them. Yeah, But they're not screaming anymore because they're... I mean, they were really throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, yeah. Cutting off nose to spite one's face. There's a lot happening. (laughs) (laughs) One's lobe to spite one's brain. Fuck you. So at the end of the movie, he ends up releasing all of the oxygen into the air, terraforming Mars and making it a blue sky on Mars because there's oxygen in the air. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about blue as a color. It turns out that we didn't really know that blue existed until we were able to create it in like dyes for clothes and stuff. It's crazy. Because blue is really rare in nature. And while we see it in the sky, there's kind of a debate over whether or not what we're seeing in the sky is actually blue or if we see it as blue because we have been told that it's blue. Right. Ancient languages on Earth didn't have a word for blue. Greek, Chinese, Japanese, Hebrew, none of them had a word for the color blue. And in the Odyssey, Homer describes the wine-dark sea. And people are like, why did he describe it as Uh wine-dark and not as blue or green? And every language first has a word for black and for white. And then the next word of color to come into existence is red, which is the color of blood and wine. And then after red, it's either yellow or green. And then the last color to appear in every language is blue. Wow. And the only ancient to develop a word for blue was the Egyptians, and they were the only ones who had a way to produce a blue dye. Wow. So they had to invent a name. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, like, yeah, there's almost no blue animals. Blue eyes are really rare. Right. The blue flowers are human creations. Like, mm-hmm. they're really rare. There was a mini experiment that was done with a researcher's daughter. He never taught her what the word for the color of the sky is. And when she got to be old enough, he asked her, why is the sky blue? And she said that she had no idea at first and that it was colorless. And then eventually she decided it was white. And then later on, she decided it was blue. Wow. And so blue wasn't the first thing she saw or even gravitated towards, but it's where she settled in the end after society was kind of like the blue sky. Interesting. Yeah, I guess because it doesn't occur in nature really otherwise. Mm -hmm. Although oceans, I mean, it does seem strange that they wouldn't have come up with the name earlier just because of, although, I mean, not all oceans are blue. Well, that's true. Who knows with Homer calling it wine dark. Yeah, what was going on there? It's hard to, to say. There's a tribe called the Himba. When they're shown like a circle with 11 
green squares and one that's blue like it's like a clock Mm -hmm. where each of the numbers is actually a square of color Mm -hmm. 11 of them are green and one of them is blue they can't pick out the one that's blue wow but they have more words for shades of green in their language than we do and they were able to tell the difference between a slightly different color of green in those squares than blue i looked at these squares and I could not tell a difference between any of the greens. And when it told me which one was different, I looked back at it and they all look like the exact same shade of green to me. And apparently to the Himba tribe, they're able to be like, that's the one that's a different shade. It, well, I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's a reason why people like from other races are like, all blank look the same, right? Like right. all Asians look the same, all black right. folks look the same, all white people look the same. Because you haven't like looked yeah. at it enough to... Because you're able to broad brush. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, so many metaphors. <laughs> yeah. But it is true, I guess, if you're not like trained to dif- differentiate between those things. It's mm-hmm. like anybody saying like, oh, if with an artist's eye, you know, it's a, right. with the untrained eye. Right. My question is, when was Periwinkle invented? <laughs> when was macaroni and cheese <laughs> Crayola color invented? I got some other random facts. Okay. So why do we have two nipples? Because in I the don't movie, know. there's a mutant with three Ah, uh, yes. The iconic three-titted alien. <laughs> yep. And we just had him out at all times, it seems. Well, she was at least... That was her job. <laughs> yeah, they, they were, they were at a point. brothel. Right, right. I don't think they were, though. They were at, a, like, a bar. It was, it was a just strip weird. club. It was at least... It was well, weird. It was, like, like, it was, like, no, over-the-top like, lit, like, bar. I get what they were doing, but I was like, this the is... The women are definitely bringing right. guys upstairs and fucking. Right, That's sure. definitely implied. Right. There's these all these rooms, and it's like, let me know if you need any help with that one. Right, sure. Yeah, it was called the sleaze bar or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So why do we have two nipples and know. not more, like other animals, like dogs, for example? And dogs apparently have a varying number of nipples ranging from 8 to 12. Wow. And it has to do with roughly the maximum litter size Mm. is the equivalent to the number of nipples that you have. The vast majority of births by human beings are single births, Mm -hmm. one child. 3.2% of live births in the United States are twins, Mm -hmm. but one in a thousand are triplets. So that's kind of like nearly impossible evolutionarily mm-hmm. speaking we actually have the right number for the possibility of twins ah. in short a dog may have a litter of eight puppies and that would be like the maximum for a dog that had eight nipples mm-hmm. you gotta have more nipples than you, you have kids exactly you, right. usually they have like one they have some extra nips right. for the maximum litter possible gotcha and usually human beings we call them twins rather than a litter of two Right, sure, sure, just twins. Right. That's interesting. Okay, so that makes more sense because my brain is going to these clowns that are like spawning 12, 14 kids a family. And well, I'm some like, of them are quintuplets. I know. Like, that's not something we're that's supposed to be normal. able to do. That's not normal. That's like fucking hormone You're gonna, therapy. Like, how shit. much breastfeeding? Well, they must not do natural breastfeeding. They can't. Your nips would be like fucking chew toys. kids and <laughs> so, so, just constantly, so, yeah. yeah, like I would five be like, of them. I just got, I mean, already, I'm, me imagining like a baby sucking on my boob is weird but you're like fine and having to just constantly be like basically like a cow just like hooked up to the nipple like mad max god it's just like a lot oh yeah but that's why we have two nipples that's really interesting but i guess uh so that that alien alien would have had a standard like two baby situation and then with the potential for three so basically yeah maybe that's just her her titties are telling us how fertile that bitch is that's exactly what (laughs) 
That's exactly what it is. Just to put it, you know, calmly and politely. Put it on a, on a fine point on, on <laughs> yeah. the, the end of that. I want to be very precise. Joya, I believe you were pretty freaked out by the Johnny Cab. Oh, God, And his a face being just horrific to you. Yeah, just clay. And I mentioned that he lives in the Uncanny Valley, right. and you were like, what's that? Totally. So the Uncanny Valley is this concept that the closer we get to recreating a human face, the more horrifying it is to somebody before mm-hmm. it becomes incredibly realistic. So like a humanoid robot with just like a robot face is not going to freak you out because it's kind of like a human, but it's not fooling you into thinking it's, it's a so human. It's so clearly like a metallic robot, mm-hmm. yeah. But when you get into really f- realistic facial animations and the stuff that robots have right now, including that Johnny Cab, mm-hmm. the way his lips move and yeah. stuff, it's close enough with while still being wrong that it's revulsive to people. Yes. Did you just say revulsive? Yeah. Is that a word? Repulsive, revolting. Is revulsive a word? I would love to use that. Wow. That's a good question. Is revulsive a word? I would love if that was. It is like repulsive and revolting combined. It's that disgusting. Revulsive. The noun is a revulsive agent, especially one that causes revulsion. Okay, so so you're right. Revulsive is a word. Wow. All right. Learning something new. I got it. Right? I love that you accidentally said that correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like it was right, but also when you questioned it, I was like, yeah, that's that can't be right. Like the other day somebody somebody said curative, and I was like, curative? Curative I I had never heard that. I'd only heard of like restorative is what I was thinking of. I was like, curative, you made that up. Yeah. But one of the things that's interesting about the Uncanny Valley is that there's a lot of theories on where this comes from, mm. like why we have this revulsion to it. Well, uh, real quick before you get to that, I was curious, do you know when that term was was coined? Yes. Like in what it was It was, was in originally to? coined by a man named Masahiro Mori in 1970. And would you know what it was in regards to? It was in a book called Robots, colon, Fact, Fiction, and Prediction. The concept was introduced by a robotics professor named Masahiro Mori in 1970. Gotcha. And then it was translated as Uncanny Valley in the 1978 book, Robots, colon, Fact, Fiction, and Prediction, written by Jassia Rechthard. And it, But it really explores this, <clears throat> what yeah. you're talking about, of like, it's, as we get closer It's mostly, to... we talk about it in terms of robotics, sometimes in terms of, like, CG ability. Yeah, well, and even think about how far we've come since the 70s. Like, 70s yeah. robotics? What? Oh, we've, we've gone a long way. Yeah. One of the theories on why we have this revulsion is that there's an evolutionary tendency to be repulsed by anyone who looks sick or unhealthy or wrong. Right. It's called pathogen avoidance. Uh-huh. And so human beings have this innate thing where it's like we avoid people who look wrong to us, you know, lepers. Right. And so this actually translates into this robotics concept mm-hmm. and facial animations. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you look at a CG face and you're like, what the hell is wrong with that thing? Right, sure. It's wrong. And that's because the part of our brains that's recognizing that somebody else is sick. Interesting. Gosh, because then there's part of me that's just like, fucking shallow ass humans that yeah, are just like yeah. what's wrong with that guy's face yeah another theory is that the uncanny valley particularly in regards to humanoid robots triggers an innate fear of death mm-hmm. you know because they move more like lifeless puppets and yeah. it, it reminds us of our own mortality wow it's all about us oh it's all about us. <laughs> what it's about the robots yeah no Science. cool do you want to head into favorite lines yeah, let's do it. All right. So my favorite line was, 
A man is defined by his actions, not his memories. That was my favorite line, too. I think that's Perfect. really good because it is it's it does speak to the fact that, like, we think of ourselves as made up of our memories, of our experiences. We can change who we are any day. Yeah. And don't freak out about who you were and what choices you've made. Just make good ones going forward. Right. Well, and I think we've talked about this, I don't know if on the show or just as normal folks talking, because there's this element of you know needing to take responsibility for yourself and who you are mm -hmm. so like a lot yeah. of people might have had some fucked up shit happen to them when they're kids and then there's some people that they're like self-aware enough that they're able to be like well you have to understand one of the reasons that i do x y or z is because of this experience that happened to me and there's mm -hmm. that kind of acknowledgement but then that justifies how they're continuing to make like shitty decisions right. and just like exactly. this self-fulfilling prophecy exactly. so it's like to me in my life you know i'm i'm put off by the idea of removing any memories from my life because Sure, there was a time in my life where I really would have probably been on the other side of this. But then you would be a different person. I'd be a different person, yeah. and I really wouldn't change who I am. What I do appreciate, though, is people that have been through some some real, we're talking like graphic, like you can't sleep, like stuff that is bigger than me. I would love us to be able to, you know, at least manipulate the brain a little bit so that those things don't cause the same kind of crippling effects like people that have crippling anxiety are not able to live full and happy lives that's true generally but it also it what scares me is like if there's a service that's on the market where you can remove memories that you have that is a pandora's box of ultimate proportions right but so is everything that we've talked about on here because to me i feel like you know who the fuck am i to say to somebody else no, you need to remember that rape. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah, I such do a know weird, what you mean, but right. it's also like as much as history repeats itself, we have to remember our experiences in order to move forward. Right, and to learn, especially when it comes to learning from mistakes. If you like yes. get in a car accident because you made some dumbass, uh, you know, you didn't signal. Right. You want to remember to signal. But what I mean to say is, like, when it comes to something like violently traumatic, there's a difference between removing the memory altogether and inhibiting the protein in your brain that allows you every time you interact with a man makes you feel to like they're going to rape you to remember that okay that's but, and so that's what i'm a little bit more in support of but if we were to do that then could you end up going down a road where eventually somebody's like well you can just get that removed so why do you care so much of that course. it happened i which is why i personally would not do this but it's also really hard for me to talk about it without acknowledging like I've I've never seen anything so traumatic that I haven't been able to live a full life. Like I've dealt right. with my own men, you know. Yeah, no, so. <laughs> like living the lives that we have. It's, yeah, it's hard to say definitively. Right. But I do still think that not having those experiences allows us to think about it a little bit more mm. objectively. Erasing negative memories is a rabbit hole. As crazy as all the other things that we talk about doing mm. in this podcast, like that seems like a way that the world would end. Well, and I think, well, yeah, especially when it comes to learning from your mistakes, so certainly as, as a society, but we're all just fucking trying to get through it. And if like you really can't get through your day, yeah. you can't even get out of bed because you're so deeply, deeply troubled by whatever happened to you, then it's like, it's really yeah. fucking hard for me to say no. That being said, it's hard to even get to that point because the way we treat mental illness in this country is ridiculous right we don't treat it with the same kind of dignity as other like health ailments so i feel like there's so many other things that we should do before jumping to that like okay let's just like delete those proteins in well, your brain i do just feel like we already have very selective memories yeah like we already you know yeah in a relationship i'll remember the parts where i was not mm -hmm. an asshole and right. forget the other you know it's like we inherently have selective memories 
to actually be able to select which memory is. And then to take it into into a whole other level, it's like, what if that reacted badly and we wound up doing something where all the memories of everybody on Earth are suddenly erased? Right. Oh, totally. I mean, like, I do not deny how dangerous this is and I certainly don't deny how uncomfortable it makes me feel because yeah. I'm like I yeah I was a fucking angsty ass teenager but guess what everybody's yeah, an angsty ass te- teenager it's rare to find somebody who's not angsty there's a reason why there's a there's the phrase misery loves company the mm. way uh, oftentimes people work through their trauma is by going to group therapy understanding mm. that you're not alone right you know so more effort attention on that of like bad shit happens to good people all yeah. the time and if we just develop I think the tools of being able to work through that because there's people like if people that survived the holocaust are able to live some kind of normal life mm-hmm. then clearly bad memories don't completely hold you back that being said i've you know seen multiple documentaries where people are like yeah. this is my I life i think it's is, it's case yeah. by case correct you know I, there are plenty of people especially through history who have lived through horrific experiences and then lived 50 years and like they're telling their grandkids like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe what it was like exactly and but they they were able to live full lives yeah but yeah on the other hand who am I to say you have to keep experiencing that rape exactly that's not something I I have a right to say that's where well I mean and that's why I'm like I would never draw a hard line here except Mm. for I'll say like you motherfuckers trying to delete your memory of some ex-boyfriend that didn't work out is like that's the worst thing to do to yourself because the way you end up with someone that works for you is by learning what doesn't fucking work for you. That's really true. (laughs) You're kind of fucking yourself for future shit. I'm like, I I dated a bunch of people that, you know, and then you're eventually like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't, oh, oh, oh. But I almost feel like it's so hard to draw the line of where it's Mm -hmm. appropriate that this is one of those few things where I'm like, we should not allow people Mm -hmm. to remove memories. Right. You know, know. we've, we've spent... The whole computing age trying to figure out how to prevent data loss. Mm-hmm. This is a way of specifically losing data. Wow. I Honestly, Jeff, I feel like this is the first time in our all of these episodes that I've seen. Because most of the time we're kind of like... Yeah, man, I'm all for it. I, right. This is like a trick. This not a trigger. This isn't a trigger for you, but like I feel like this is the first time I've seen you like really <laughs> opinionated. Like I don't want this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I usually am very on board for yeah. crazy things because I because I, th- I see so many potential positives that, and I have enough faith in humanity, whether it's misplaced or not, that we would use it in that way. Mm-hmm. While some people would use it in a negative way, that would be limited. Yeah. But this just seems like it's, it's too not much. The, it's not the way to go. I it's, mean, and I totally get you. Yeah. The way to go is to learn how to better process these horrifying things that happen. Yeah. I think. I mean, well, and so much of our conversations comes back to this basic, like, what is consciousness? And it's like, well, I guess that's part of consciousness is allowing something that exists that like is not tangible, but it just exists in here, Mm. like in your brain, be so powerful that it like either allows you or denies you the opportunity to live a full life. It's fucking wild. But I think we just need to understand more about the brain and understand how negative memories are formed. And also, I do a lot of yoga, man. There's a lot Mm. of things out there that try to at least calm the mind, Mm. find ways of dealing with trauma, whatever. And that's that's drug-free. That's fucking operation-free. No, we have a lot of control over our own minds. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm like, getting rid of bad experiences is just... You know, I was a camp counselor once, Mm -hmm. and I had gone to the camp as a kid in you know through the 90s and then as a counselor in i think 06 or 07 Mm -hmm. 
I went back and the camp had changed in a, in some really specific ways. And ultimately, the camp no longer wanted to allow the kids to have a potential for negative experiences. Right. And it made the experience mm-hmm. shitty. Or like everyone's a winner. Everything has to be a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And like if a parent finds out that their kid skinned their knee, it's a problem. Oh my God. And it was like skinning your knee is an important thing to do as your kid as a kid totally. to know it's no big deal to know a it's no big deal and also like oh that thing that i just did made me scrape my knee i can yeah. deal with that i'll put a band-aid on it i'm not right. gonna it's a part of life totally well i mean and we talked about inside out earlier i think that was a really important movie for mm-hmm. for kids especially too because i think a lot of parents have that idea like oh i don't want my kid to be sad and right. so therefore i'm going to create this fake la la world that right. like nobody that doesn't actually exist what did carrie fisher say take your book and heart and make it into art like and That's people were like requoting that after she passed because of all and i'm like yeah dude yeah. art is a thing it, it, there's so many different things and exercises you can do that just straight up going in there and being like hey guy i don't want to remember this anymore i mean right. there's a reason that, that's why eternal sunshine was such a like everyone was so fucking into yeah. it because it was like oh yeah well like i'm still trying to be a better person actively and i can't if, if I could just do these things that made me a better person, not through effort and not through mm-hmm. like bettering myself, but just through like removing a memory that made me a certain way, mm-hmm. then what am I doing in life? Like exactly. I'm tr- I should be trying to better myself. And that's like a goal and a purpose for living. Yeah. Developing your brain is as important slash as much work as being a fucking bodybuilder. Right. You're building muscle or you're building brain synapses and wires and all that stuff. Oh, good combo wow yeah this is crazy shit <laughs> well we've we've found one of jeff's lines <laughs> yeah we found a line for me that's great so you guys can go to the facebook page and leave feedback for us if you want to respond to anything that was said in this episode we'd love to hear from you we are also on twitter at no but that's a thing she is at it's a joy of yeah. it's a joy of you have to say like I'm mario at jeffrey ekman so we would love to hear from you. You can email at us at nobutthatsathing at gmail.com. And we will see you next week for another wonderful film. <laughs> see you guys. Jesus.